Welcome to the Monday Morning Captain. I am Admiral Darrell Gray. And I'm Captain Cliff. Welcome back, you guys. Another morning. Hopefully you're starting off your week in a positive way because you're starting off your week with us. And we have a great show for you guys. We have great content, great subjects, things that we're really excited about, some things that happened just in the last seven days that should make any fan of science fiction or science technology pretty pretty giddy if, if i'm being honest so um captain cliff you want to get us started with our first topic with the uh the star trek news that we got going on so we can get to our main topic yeah absolutely so uh it looks like paramount plus had a successful launch on march 1st and uh you know a lot of news has come out about the inner workings of paramount plus and did you get it yeah yeah oh dude i'm 100 subscribed i got it too yeah so they've they've assembled assembled some pretty amazing team members uh in the back end of that entire endeavor um the big one for me is their new film chief emma watts mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. has had a very successful career over at fox uh and other places and you know i think her big focus is bringing some feature film um star trek stuff to line up and sit nicely with all of the amazing Star Trek TV shows that we're getting on Paramount Plus, because both of us know that the Star Trek universe has existed in the TV format and the movie format for the most part equally. Mm -hmm. And so to not have both kind of betrays that Star Trek uh, tradition. So, but here's the thing. L let me, let me just make this one comment about that. Cause I do feel like Star Trek has an expectation of it. That is unfair when it goes to the big screen. Star Trek wasn't necessarily designed for big screen condensed storytelling. It was meant to be serialized and long form. So I, I do want people to, to, to temper their expectations on these new Star Trek movies. Don't think that it's supposed to be kind of like the new shows that we're falling in love with. If you like Discovery or not, I know people, some people don't, but it, I would expect it to be of its own flavor and yet sit alongside of these other shows. So I'm just, I just wanted to say that because I feel like Star Trek gets a, it's a bad rap when it comes to movies, and I don't know if it's designed to be uh, told in, in that type of storytelling format. I always definitely felt like the movies were more of an ancillary product to the TV shows. They were extensions. They were, it was the bonus. It's like, all right, you know, right now the next generation is off air. They're not, but so we're going to put out nemesis and we're going to bring back the old cast. And like, obviously the TV shows themselves defined what those movies were about. So those movies right. themselves couldn't truly exist without the TV shows that uh, came before them or were airing during the time they were made. So yeah, the, it was it was more of like an addition, but I do feel like it, it feeds both markets and some yeah. people prefer movies and some people prefer TV shows. Um, well, well, how many do they have on, on Slate right now that they're planning? So there was three. Uh, all three passed their deadlines, unfortunately. Um, no, that's not good. Yeah, so we have uh, one that was a Noah Hawley uh, concept that was supposed to be coming out. Uh, the deadline passed in 2019. Um, now is kind of a really strange time to be releasing it because the movie was written in kind of a pandemic scenario in the Alpha Quadrant. And that might be a little bit of a touchy subject considering, you know, what we're going through here on uh, 
uh, in real life earth. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that one's kind of being put to the side. And then there was another two that were slated. One was the Quentin Tarantino film. He, he dipped out on that one. He's no longer, uh, that one passed its deadline in 2017. So, so that's official, right? He's, he's no longer done with it. Cause every not. time I ask if Quentin Tarantino still involved, people are like, yeah, he's still doing the movie. And I'm like, I don't know. No, no, it, it passed its deadline in 2017. And so he is not going to move forward on any of that stuff. Uh, however, the, the, the script itself still 100% exists. So the movie can pick up another director, um, another filmmaker and, uh, you know, a, a new studio, whatever it may be, and can still 100% be produced. Um, that one is looking like it's a possibility. And then there's another one that they have slated that's supposed to take place in, uh, like a gangster thirties setting kind of, uh, follows the, setup of an old original series episode i'm sure most people are familiar with where uh you know they'll go back to 30s earth and uh you know it's the old gangster thing and, and star trek has, al capone you know, see and they're <laughs> shooting it out with captain kirk yeah exactly so you know that's been done before and i think it's a, a classic star trek scenario that they could definitely make a movie on and i think it would be really cool so uh those are the those are the three that are slated i think that one is definitely being put to the side so it's between those two but there is going to be one of those is going to have then move forward on it. I know the one that isn't the 30s setting is uh, a full recast of the, uh, you know, Chris Pine and and uh, C.J. Hemsworth and all those guys. That's an expensive cast, and that was the big caveat that Viacom CBS is looking at um, because that's a that's a lot of money to drop for a streaming service movie that isn't going to hit the big screen in movie theaters. Well, why don't they do something like? Um... And I, I hate to bite other franchises because I feel like Star Trek should always be in the forefront of that. But it's like the CW can't be the only people to do this with the Flash, where they take franchises and they're like, look, how much is it going to cost to borrow your character for 10 seconds? Okay. And they're like, you know, write us a check. Star Trek, write a check so you can kill these characters off properly. I hate to say it like that, but if you don't want to pay them and you feel like it's going to be expensive going into the future, Write the small check so you don't have to write the big check in the future so you can bring them on, do some sort of a timeline. They get wiped from existence or something like that. And now it's part of the, the lore that that universe was a different thing and whatever it was. But you can bring them in early and kind of, all right, look, you guys are going to cost this amount. We'll bring you in, give you the Robert Downey Jr. rate for a film and a half. And then we'll basically kind of kill you off and let this new cast in the second half of the second film be the new heroes, whatever that is. And so I think they could do it that way. But come on, Paramount, you got the money. Yeah, and and I mean, even more so, Viacom CBS has got unlimited money. They got it, it infinitely deep pockets. So it is a little bit cheap that they might they might consider avoiding that specific one because of the cost. Although I do understand there's an ROI on all of this stuff and it is re- re- uh, releasing exclusively on a streaming service. There, right, you know, right. there's gonna, there isn't going to be a box office, right? To get that, that big flash of money in the first couple of months that it's out. Um, We'd be lucky so, if we get box offices back. Yeah, ever, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, although AMC said they're opening their theaters up, so maybe we might get a Star Trek in a, th- in a, in a theater in our kind of lifetimes again, because I feel like everything's going to streaming and with Paramount going or CBS going to Paramount plus, I thought the movie that they were going to do was going to go straight, straight 
direct to their streaming service. I didn't think it was going to go to a theater because I didn't think theaters were going to be a thing. Right now, nah, definitely. And you know what, man, I, I, you know, Star Trek to me, it's, it's, it's true form is in a, in a TV format. And, and for me, the movies are, are so much, are, are, are really just a extra. Um, mm-hmm. and so if it means, you know, saving money for the third or fourth season of lower decks or, the sixth or seventh season of discovery or the third, uh, second and four, second, third and fourth season of strange new worlds or that section 31 show that we were promised. Um, you know, I would much rather the money go into those places, but at the same time, the scripts are already written. The money has already been invested in the prep, right? So they might right. as well take some of that and make something out of it. Um, right. I agree with you, but will let me they ask you go- this question. Let me ask you this question. Who gets top money? priority at in the star trek uh kind of mix right now because discovery i don't know if that's going to be their main horse with i don't know if people consider picard better than discovery i'm gonna have a hot take right now i think discovery is better than picard right now it It has the potential to be picard has the potential to be better than discovery but it's not even close discovery is is i'd say at least one level full level above what Picard is right now. But I also think it's had two two extra seasons on it. So it could figure out three. what its mistakes were. Three now. Three? Yeah. Well, three so, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. No, you're right. That that happened, you know, later. So yeah, so it's it's had it's had seasons on it to where it could figure out where it needed to hone its skills or or you know, kind of uh tune up what they were trying to do. So right. I feel like maybe the money priority should go to strange new worlds. And then Discovery, because I feel like Discovery is playing with house money right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we all know that Star Trek has a tradition of totally screwing up the first season of any new series that they release. Discovery season one was was pretty rough. And and I think that the reason it was pretty rough was a lot of the, the things they were going through internally. Um, at CBS all access and, you know, you know, a lot of transitions and leadership there and things like that, but it found its stride. And the fourth season, obviously, if you want to hear what we think about that, we did an entire review a couple of episodes ago and it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I think right now, uh, discovery is better than Picard, but Picard has been renewed for two seasons. So that means they got a lot planned for it. Um, and, and yeah, again, I would prefer the money be put into, uh, into, more Star Trek TV shows because I like Star Trek as a TV show, but I also yeah, really think that it is time for a new Star Trek movie to hit us and, and give us a little bit, some, some of that side entertainment that I enjoy, you know, some popcorn eating time. Yeah. And what I'd like for them to do is stop doing this thing that they've been doing recently where they separate the movie characters from the television universe. And I don't know how they're going to have to unify that. Like I said, Paramount, write the small check so you don't have to write the big check. And if you're able to get those guys in to have some type of, you know, mirror verse, multiverse altering event where versions of them that is in the movie universe get killed off. uh, The people who they pick for the movie to carry on that torch should be people who are active in the television uh, Star Trek shows, whether it's Anson Mount, in my opinion, could carry a movie. You don't think that dude could carry a movie? Ethan oh, Peck, 100%. you don't think he could carry a movie? Number yeah, one, uh, Rebecca Romaine, yeah. they could all carry a movie. I think they all might have carried movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's like, I feel like those people 
could surely transition from big screen to small screen, small screen to big screen, and do it pretty seamlessly. It may be the cast of like Discovery that that may not make a good movie. I think it's a much better show and long form story than let's say Strange New Worlds, which could each episode be its own movie. Well, and you know, uh, to me, I feel like the way that the Kelvin timeline movies worked out as much as I deeply love the cast and I felt like Chris Pine is an incredible Captain Kirk. He's it's perfect. It really, really is a perfect Kirk for, for this day and age. Um, the rest of the cast is really good too, but I think they're, they're debatable and, and for the most part expendable, but to keep Chris Pine as Kirk and maybe give him his own show that could work, obviously probably way too fucking expensive. And I think there's a lot of fantastic talent out there that fits in the affordable range for a streaming service that is going to give us the trek that we want. Look at Discovery. None of those people were crazy, you know, insane A-list act actors or actresses, cast members. And it's one of the best Star Trek shows to ever exist. So I think that, you know, you don't have to go the route of getting the very best of the best of the best to play these people. For me, they could completely and totally leave behind the entire Kelvin universe, all of the cast, everything that was done with it, and recast something that's more affordable and give us some movies with a, with with some real meaning and 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 some real uh, viability in the revitalization of Star Trek as we know it right now. So so oh. yeah, I, I I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that we get these new movies soon or at least one new movie soon. Um, but yeah, I think now is a good time to uh, move over to our next subject and uh, and review something that's uh, that's actually incredibly exciting. And fortunately, it is not science fiction. It's just science awesomeness. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, this is where we touch the subject of where science fiction, uh, you know, turns into to reality. And uh, we all saw it happen. I'm sure you guys saw it on the news. Um, the Perseverance rover successfully landed on Mars, on the surface of Mars. And it is one of the most advanced instruments um, in human history. And the fact Every that time you say it, I do a fist pump. I do like a Kobe pump. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. I just want to be like, you know how people are like, America, fuck it. You know, I'm like, humanity. Like, yep. the fact that we're able to do stuff like that, you should... No matter what you're going through, and and I understand everybody's going through different things, and you know I'm, not, I'm definitely not trying to be uh, uh, you know callous to anything somebody else is going through right now. But when you see something like that, that should make you at least put one up on the scorecard for humanity. You should be like, yo, that's humans doing that together. Different parts of the world, different cultures, different ideologies, all working together to move something from this d dust moat floating through the vacuum to that dust moat floating through the vacuum. And I think it's it's pretty spectacular. I just, I don't even know how, there's not, I can't articulate how incredible it actually is. Yeah, and and I mean, when you get into the hard work um, that these scientists and engineers have put in and the amount of scientific advancement and technological advancement since the Curiosity rover successfully, su su successfully landed, it is truly astonishing, um, and we can go over a couple of features. Um, first off, oh. the fact oh. that they designed algorithms to basically locate the best LZ 
mid-flight, mid-descent, so that it would land safely instead of a pre-designated landing zone is pretty incredible. So we have machine learning that is doing a lot of the heavy lifting logistically for these landings um, is pretty incredible. And then the wide array of instruments this this rover has available to it um, is is really quite incredible. Um, oh, it's uh, got think- a suite. It's it, got it, a has, it has. Can we a give suite. a nod though to first for um, perseverance's? Uh, it's perseverance, right? Correct. The one that came before that was called curiosity. Curiosity. Let's give a shout out to curiosity for 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 leading the way and making it possible for us to even have this. Whoever worked on uh, curiosity, we we haven't forgot about you. I know we're all celebrating perseverance right now, but you were a part of this step. So I just want to give a nod to you before we even start just got fawning and gushing over what we just saw this week. Um, this thing is incredible. This rover is when they say, oh, we're doing a, a Mars mission out in the desert somewhere and we're going to be working on stuff. You wonder, like, do you really need to be out there in the desert or is this something that you could just really go? You, you have to go to. No, this is why they do stuff like that, because they develop these rovers that they've considered every eventuality that you'd have to consider when you're sending something that you have to control by radio delay, essentially. And it has to be able to operate and perform functions at a high enough efficiency to where you don't really have to tell it what to do. It's designed to do what it does. And it's just a part of a system. You've just developed that system. But some of those things that this thing has, I mean, even if you just go to the, the, intellectual weight put behind the wheels and the wheelbase. And I think I read something or I heard something to where inside the wheel tread, this is crazy. I can't even believe I'm saying this inside the wheel tread. When it rolls across the surface of Mars, there's Morse code so that in the tracks, you can see who, if you're an intelligent species, who designed this actual thing. And who sent it there, where it's from. You, if, if you have some sort of a way of discerning that, which I'm assuming if you're some sort of an intelligent species or some species in the future, you'd be able to say, okay, this is something that's frozen in time. Uh, this is what this is supposed to say. But even the weight behind that is expressed throughout the entire rover system. Yeah. Everything from its navigational functions and programming to the way it's designed to be deployed on the planet and even retrieved eventually, the, the, the data samples that it collects. I, this thing is kind of mind-breaking. It, the it fact is. that we're doing this now it is pretty crazy. And I, I know I'm a, a pretty big futurist kind of person. I always talk about the future. And, but sometimes I think that the stuff that this thing is performing now is still about 30 years away. But I'm 40. Yeah. And this is 10 years since uh, Curiosity has been on Mars, right? I think yep. it's been about it's been, eight it's to 10 been, years. It's, it's been on Mars for 10 years now. I mean, this is the next generation of that. This is pretty incredible. Yeah, <laughs> um, I if mean- If you can hear from, the, the shock in my voice, that's because I'm genuinely shocked by it. From the way that it powers itself, first off, that is <laughs> their battery power, the way they generate energy for that thing. Oh. And it's, it's it's mind blowing, and and honestly, it gets into some some scientific and engineering stuff that's way beyond my pay grade. But way beyond my pay grade, um, you know, they're they're essentially using heat 
uh, that is provided by some sort of plutonium that has uh, less, um, you know, uh, degrading effects on the electronics to essentially produce electricity out of nothing for an infinitude. Like uh, the the half life is insane. It's like a hundred and something years. So it just yes, can power civilization. Itself yeah, civilization. Civilization will be radically different before that thing stops working. It'll be retrieved before it stops working. People will land on Mars and retrieve it and use it as spare parts before, way before that thing runs out of juice. Oh, that and thing's then, going in the Smithsonian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it- Ship that thing back to Earth. We don't ship a lot of things back to Earth from Mars, and I understand why the energy cost of that. Ship that thing back to Earth. And it's funny. You want to talk, we can, we can touch on the subject of shipping back to Earth. This thing collects data samples. It analyzes the data samples at what it can at best, what it, you know, what it can do with what the instruments it has on board. And then it drops them in these tubes that are protected for a long period of time. And they have another rover. They're already in the process of building that they're going to send there that picks those samples up. They call it the data caching system. It follows the tracks of perseverance. It picks those data samples up, loads them onto a fucking rocket and sends them back to earth. And that is insane. We literally built a rover to go and collect dirt and core samples. And now we're building a rover to go collect them and shoot them back to earth in a rocket so that we can analyze them more further on earth. That is truly fucking intense. That's, that's, that's mind blowing. And by we're not the time even, we actually. No, I was just going to say, I don't mean to interrupt you because it is mind blowing, but by the time we actually set foot as a human on Mars, I really feel like we will have done with robots so many different things that that first mission, I think a lot of people think that first Mars mission would probably be a disaster in some kind of way. I used to think that like anything that could go wrong, you see Apollo 13 and you're like, look, anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong when you go into space, right? You hear all these horror stories about you know, Russian cosmonauts burning up and re-entry and all this stuff. And, you know, you're like, man, if, if they go to Mars, if, the, if the, the harsh environment doesn't get them, it's, you know, some weird thing on the surface that they can't account for or, you know, some weird radiation that they get exposed to in, in, in uh, transit or something, just something, something's going to go wrong. Um, I hope that we have the time to actually ship something back like we actually retrieve this and ship this back to have this in a museum because i think that's one of those things both of them if we get uh curiosity too, take them back take them both yeah it deserves its own gallery with all of yeah. its core samples and everything on display for everybody to see no i i 100 agree and it, it is uh it's a historical monument i mean they, they're building they're building statues of people i want a statue of perseverance in front of the nasa center okay i want a Shit, library i want a statue I want a statue of per perseverance in front of the Staples Center. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, athletes are great, but it's like, shit, put, put something that actually left this planet in front of there, too. I think that's just as important as Shaq and Kobe and all those guys. Yeah. And, and so the cool thing, I, something I want to touch on with this is that it, it does have a lot of function, like a lot of current practical function, like core sampling. What It, it has two main missions. And the first one is going to be looking for signs of microbial life, whether it be past, present, um, or even conditions where it could exist in the future. It, it, it is, they're landing it essentially in an old lake bed um, on Mars. It's a crater that used to be a lake. Um, so, you know, if the, there was water there, obviously if there was water there, 
high chance that some kind of even microbial life could have existed there at some point in time. And there, there will be some kind of evidence that it existed. There's ways to detect this. This thing is equipped with the, um, a lot of different instruments. It, it it has radar that can penetrate the surface up to 10 meters. Um, it has, uh, it has an X-ray. It has microscopes that can see the tech. It has advanced texture filtering to see the surface of the dirt and see if microbial life could have affected it in any way whatsoever. Whatsoever. Um, and then obviously it has the core sampling system that it can analyze certain things. And then it has a secondary mission. And the secondary mission is incredibly exciting and it has a lot of intent and it leads up to humans taking their first steps on the surface of Mars. It is it it has a bunch of a bunch of instruments and devices that are essentially alpha tests. It, they sent to this device called the Moxie, and it's a mini device of a, a Basically, an oxygen generator that takes um, carbon monoxide and something else and turns it into oxygen, and basically is uh, it gives you an unlimited supply of oxygen. They want to test this on Mars. It takes up a lot of power, so they equipped a couple of extra batteries just to power it for a small amount of time and test it. Once it can be tested, it can be discarded, and they know the prototype works. And this is essentially going to give humans some kind of uh, extended source of oxygen when they do settle Mars. Um, that's going to be one of the biggest problems, water and oxygen. Uh, they have another way to produce water as well, um, and that's another device that was sent on the rover that they're going to be testing. And then I believe there was another one. It was the drone. They have a drone. It's a, it's a helicopter and it can only operate for 90 seconds of flight time. But what they're doing is they're because the, the, the atmosphere there is so, so thin. It isn't as dense. There isn't a lot of lift for helicopters for drone like propellers systems. So they built this new, drone propeller system it's a double propeller system and it works it's supposed to work really really well apparently it's already taken a couple of successful flights so it's going to be essentially the prototype system for the first flight model rover so eventually we will have rovers on the surface of mars that aren't just on the surface of mars they're flying around mars flying mm. around mars that that's is crazy. incredibly exciting. <laughs> that's crazy so, so this, this perseverance <laughs> model is the first in a chain of rovers and new experiments that will essentially lead to humans settling Mars. Um, this you know that sounded like step. to me? You know that sounded like to me? What? That sounds like terraforming. Yeah, it does. Start, we're, it's already started. The process has already began. Now, I don't know how long it actually takes to actually terraform a planet, but I do know if you're making oxygen out of basically raw components whatever you're making oxygen out of that that we we saw um yeah you're making it so that the sustainability is long term that the sustainability is like self dependent on the people who are there on that planet they don't need anything from earth once they're there they're right. trying to make it to where once you're on the surface of mars everything is already there in fact if we're deploying robots that are essentially doing scientific research on the surface, which is, and I'm not, they're not robots, they're rovers, right? They are being controlled by humans and, and engineers back on, on earth. Yes. And no. we do have to wreck. Yes, that's true. They, their certain functions are automated, which I do like, but I think though that even that automation is overseen by it is. some sort of a supervisory, you know, it committee. Is. And so, 
you kind of have a situation where you wonder if we're able to send other robotics there and we have them programmed to do functions there that we don't have to do when we get there. So we may actually land on Mars and there already be habitats built. We just have to get there. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, that Moxie system to produce oxygen. Apparently they're going to send another version of that, a larger generator, quite large actually, and an empty rocket. And they want to sit there and they want to fill that empty rocket and its tanks with oxygen for a year. So that when you literally what you're talking about right now is actually happening. So they're, they're, they're testing these devices. As soon as these devices has been validated and they can work out the little bugs or whatever that they experience on this run, they'll be able to send an empty rocket and an oxygen generator and generate a year's worth of oxygen on that rocket, on that empty rocket. And so when people land, they can just hop in the empty rocket, settle in and have a year's worth of oxygen, water, everything they need and can conduct their scientific experiments and exploration. And that is truly incredible. Duh, I, what we are doing, and this is the precipice of technological development that gets into the place of once AI reaches a certain point, and we're able to infuse artificial general intelligence into our rover drone type of system to where we give them a certain condition to meet when they're out doing observation missions. But they're essentially out there performing work and gathering intelligence uh, based on kind of a wide directive because right. they have the, the sustainability to operate for long periods of time. They're durable enough to sustain the harsh conditions, and they have the basic intelligence to kind of not need micro management. Yeah, like so perseverance doesn't need to be driven. It has an automated uh, terrain. Um, uh, it, it detects the terrain in front of it and around it using its radar systems, and can basically. You know, the, just like the self-driving cars, they pulled a lot of this technology out of self-driving cars. And so essentially, it's a Tesla that was designed to maneuver around the surface of Mars. <laughs> and so Jeez, you have a man. self-driving car on the surface of Mars right now that can basically rock crawl and do all the things it needs to stay safe and put itself in the places that it needs to put itself in to accomplish its tasks. And it doesn't need any human supervision to do that and likely can do it better than a human based on the instruments and the direct link to those instruments, you know, digitally. Oh, yeah. And the precision in which it can carry out its tasks are you can't even compare right from human to those those robots because you, you're essentially operating through code to to act it within a certain level of with a certain level of position that just precision that just makes it to where you don't want a human being out there doing a lot of those tasks. You want a human being out there trying to figure out how human beings can live on this planet, live normal lives on this planet. That's what you want. And if this is the first stages of that, where we're using these drones, I don't want to put too fine a point on this because I think people might think I'm being sensational. <clears throat> I want to start naming some of these rovers after like historic people. You know, like I, I've, you start thinking about people who should get their own drones or their own like uh, their own rover names. There have been great people out throughout history that have uh, pushed humanity forward. 
And I feel like what these rovers are doing and, and how far they're pushing humanity forward and the people who are working on them, a name is great, Perseverance, and, and you know, even the one Curiosity is great. But man, I kind of want a Martin Luther King. I kind of want a Carl Sagan out there, man. It's like Carl Sagan is the one. Yeah, like I do. I feel like there should be some some of these drone vehicles. I think there's a new name, right? Isn't there some weird acronym that they're using, like a controlled drone vehicles? Uh, yeah, I'm not. C, I'm not totally what, sure. CDV, yeah, it's something like that. But uh, I just I feel like I'm so impressed with the ingenuity and the the thinking that went into engineering this thing and how many things they had to account for, for a planet that they, a lot of, most of them, none of them are ever going to see physically. Right. This is the closest they're going to get. So they're, they're the astronauts right now. So shout out to those people. Maybe we don't give them somebody else's name. Maybe we just make them famous. Yeah. These are, these are the people that, sit behind the computer screens that wear the bunny suits in the engineering labs, designing, developing, testing, um, you know, 100% proofing this work and making it even possible. We don't even know their names, unfortunately, because those aren't the people that are are very famous. Um, but we need to popularize these people more. Agree. Uh, we need, we need a way, a platform for these people to get the credit they deserve from the rest of not just the United States and not just Western culture, but humanity as a whole, um, yep. because it is one small step, you know, and, uh, and these guys, you know, the thing, credit. <laughs> for <laughs> the, sure. the thing, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I think this is a great example of where sci-fi science fiction influenced a, a generation of people who were looking upward instead of forward. And, they wanted to see a future where humans could traverse the vacuum and these guys are out there making it happen. So, you know, that's why we felt this, it was necessary and 100% a pleasure to review this new, uh, perseverance drone landing, because honestly it's Man. more exciting than any kind of science fiction on TV right now. Counter rotating dual helicopter blades. <laughs> Uh, on mars on like mars. I, you know i know i've seen them here people are like that's not that impressive on mars on mars <laughs> it is you very just impressive. add on mars to it and it's completely yep. impressive so so yeah yep. shout out shout out to those guys shout out to all the engineers all the scientists all the mas- mathematicians all of the hard work that went into getting that and 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 how incredibly successful and smooth the landing was you guys can watch the video it's all it was it's all on youtube you can see everything about it i recommend Incredible. you wander 100 dive very deep into this because it is the next generation of human exploration it's uh, incredible so uh yeah that's gonna that's gonna do it for our review segment uh and now we get to get on to uh our favorite part of the show which is star citizen absolutely star citizen being the official game of grand unified uh we have a new update coming 3.13 and i think it's safe to say now that cig is pretty consistent with their updates now i remember they said that we were going to get updates like once a month and i thought that that was insane uh then it was like we went through whole half a years where we didn't get any updates remember those days Oh yeah. Where it was like, okay, what is going on? And now it's settled to about four times a year. 
we get major updates to the game, which is really cool, to be honest with you, because I remember a Star Citizen age where you didn't know when the next update was coming. If the next update was coming, there were problems that you didn't know if they were going to be able to solve. And now we're at a place where they look like they're solving most of the technological issues to bring it to an MMO kind of full MMO state. And so one of the things that's being released, and we're going to talk about more of the 3.13 update next show, but one of the things in the 3.13 update we thought would be nice to trail the uh, perseverance and the curiosity landing on Mars was to talk about ship names in Star Citizen. So I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who want to name their ships the 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 Millennium Falcon, the Enterprise, the Rasanate, the what's the one Rasanate? Yep. Yeah, the Rasanate, which is crazy that that ship became a household name ship in that in the last ten or so years to join some of these iconic ships out there. Right. Uh, what was the one from um, uh, uh, Serenity? What's that show? Firefly. Or Serenity. Yeah, that's the name of the. Oh, ship. It's the, okay. Serenity. Serenity is the name of the ship. I never watched. I never watched Firefly. I, people tell me I should watch that show, and I'm like, I've watched one episode of it, and I need to just finish that show. But I'm oh, I'm, in, I'm in my expanse mode right now, so I'm yeah. still trying to finish. That. You'll get to it, and and trust me, when you get into the uh, when you get into Firefly, it's just going to leave you angry. So definitely uh, hit that one when you're ready to get kicked in the nuts at the end. Okay, jeez, <laughs> thanks for the warning. Because it's so good <laughs> that the fact that it was canceled after 11 episodes is a goddamn shame. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i mean i i i've i've never seen him so animated this this right. has to be uh a, an offense of, of of greatness it is so here's the thing mostly. about the, the naming convention i'm happy that they're doing this sort of unique whole designation where you can't just everyone call their name or name their ship the enterprise everyone can't name their ship the millennium falcon or whatever the death star uh, you have to put some ingenuity about how you name your ships because if you're not communicating or if I come upon a ship and it's a derelict ship, but it's a human derelict ship, I want to be able to see at least something about the ship. Let's say I, um, I have an engineering uh, away team that's doing some salvaging and they come across this derelict debris. And on that debris, <clears throat> you see them basically whatever the name or whole designation on that ship, you see like a part of it. And it gives you a clue as to who it was and why yep. they were there and whatever the case may be. And, and that'll be stored in the black box too. So the whole designation, the serial number and the name will be in the black box information when they're able to find that. And that will be a thing ab too. Absolutely. So, and, and, and that's, what's crazy about that. Cause if you have a hundred Donagers and you can't tell one from the other, then in my opinion, it lessens the authenticity of the immersion that you're trying to create. I agree. Because, you know, yeah, people would have the same names for their ships, but no computer is going to accept just literally the same name. You have to be like, look, I can't call up this record if there's a duplicate name. That indexing Ex doesn't really work like that. Exactly. And I think they want to add some exclusivity. So it's, it's a per hole. You names, are un uh, names are unique per hole. So that means you can't have two 890 jumps with the name the shooting star however you could have a 600i and an 890 jump both named the shooting star mm -hmm. so you can duplicate the names but the holes are going to be what is unique so 
you know, when we have, uh, you know, the Carl Sagan, obviously we have prefixes and we have an org way that we name our ship specifically. Mm -hmm. And so for us, this is going to be really easy, which is yeah, really we, nice. We didn't really, yeah, we didn't have an issue with it. Yeah. We're not having any problems with this, but for some people who just want the, the simple name with no prefixes or org affiliations or anything in it, it is going to be unique per hole. So there is only going to be one shooting star, two word shooting star, uh, 890 jump in the universe. There's only going to be one. And I personally yeah. think that it adds some serious uniqueness to this. Now, apparently the uh, first iteration of ship naming is only going to cover a list of six ships, that being the Aegis Hammerhead, the Aegis Reclaimer, the Anvil Carrick, the Crusader Industries Mercury Star Runner, the Origin 600i, and the Origin 890 Jump. Those are the first six ships that will allow for hull names. Um, they eventually plan to add this to any ship, uh, with a cabin. Um, but right now this is, this is what they're going to do. Obviously they need to manage this database and they need to, you know, make sure it scales properly. If they were allow any ship in the game to name that there would probably be some scaling issues and some growth, growth pains there. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, we're definitely, uh, we're definitely looking at, a huge step for quality of life and in-game immersion. Um, I think that yeah, this is huge for, for anybody who is into sci-fi, anybody who plays this game because they're a Star Trek fan. The ship name is so iconic and important. Being able to name your ship, knowing that that's going to be the place that most of your life in Star Citizen takes place in is really, really important. Well, and it's crazy because like, the name value in even iterations of ship names like enterprise c to enterprise d is like yo that's the enterprise d you can't even the whole story of the enterprise d is different from the enterprise c and then the nx nx01 ship of enterprise and all these different other versions of the name enterprise ship so hopefully people get imaginative and they call their ships the you know Ross, Ross, Rossinate A or something like that, you know, whatever. Right, but you exactly. have the opportunity to kind of flex your creative muscle to try to come up with a name that's unique. And if somebody finds your ship and they take it from you, you could literally find your ship and get it back. Right, right, exactly. And they can't just change the name. They can't, you know, they can't, they can't just remove Can, that information wait, wait. from it, right? Can you? Maybe. I mean, maybe it's a black box thing. I don't know if it's integrated directly. Um, I know as far as on the back end of things go when it comes to, you know, buying the game and owning the ship, uh, this was their comments on it. Um, this is the first iteration of ship naming. And while you can change the name as often as you like for now, it's important to note that this is only temporary. Also, keep in mind that once you change the name, the old name is released and available for others. We are currently reviewing various options to limit the ability to change ship names infinitely, such as a cooldown and or a small fee, similar to how handle changes work currently, as naming your ship is intended to be a meaningful and lasting decision. Yes. So they really do want this to be impactful, and I'm excited for that. You know, we're an organization that really... Uh, operates around kind of the Star Trek model of things. And so ship names to us are incredibly meaningful. And yep. so when we name a ship, we're not going to rename it, right? Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who play this game casually that are going to want to constantly change the name of their ship. And I, I don't think that is going to add 
to the immersion to the game. We want we want some finality in those things. We want those decisions to count for something because the whole game is centered around those decisions having consequences via persistence and all of these things. So this is a huge step forward for that the reality of Star Citizen as an end goal. Um, yeah. and, and I'm excited. We're going to be able to name our ships here in the next couple of days. Um, and they're actually going to be printed on the sides of the ships, which is going to be absolutely amazing oh, for screenshots. Uh, we have to take so many pictures of that. It's going to yeah. be, you know how many pictures I want to take of that? Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I, I, it's probably, if not the most exciting feature of 313, it's up there in the top three. Yeah, I, I do want to get into 313 and some of those other features next uh, show. But 313 is a pretty exciting patch because it has a lot of features that people have been waiting for. Agreed, agreed. One other thing I'll say about the naming before we go is that uh, ultimately I think what Star Citizen has set out to do with its immersion and its uh, level of detail, this is on message and consistent with the way that Star Citizen does things. So if you are bothered by this in some sort of way, I would say look at the way CIG has done things and you'll kind of understand that they usually go overboard and then dial it back a little bit. So it probably won't be as bad as people think in a year or so. They'll probably loosen some of these restrictions a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't mind. I think, like like the captain said, I'm I'm okay with it the way that they have it now. So I agree. I think that it's uh, it's good where it's at. And, um, you know, that's why we're alpha testers. We're going to alpha test these things. We're going to see how it works. And they're going to iterate based on the the feedback we give them. So that's the that's the the awesomeness of star citizen and cig and the entire project and being part of it shout out to cig you guys are awesome Absolutely. i got nothing bad to say about them people are always talking taking shots at cig nope those guys are legit well that's gonna wrap it up for us on the monday morning captain we hope you enjoy the rest of your monday and we hope you enjoy the rest of your week next week we're going to be talking more about 313 and more of the features that they got coming in there I'm pretty sure people are excited about that. we got a couple other topics as well, but we do know that a lot of people do listen for the Star Citizen aspect. So we're going to actually talk about 3.13 next week. So um, for the captain, I am Admiral Darrell Gray. And I'm Captain Cliff. We'll see you guys next Monday. Peace, peace. Peace.